0: Hello and welcome to Resident Advisors Exchange, a series of conversations with the artists, labels and promoters who are shaping the electronic music landscape. My name's Ryan Keeling and I'm the editor at Resident Advisor. Earlier this month, I travelled to Ibiza to spend time in the company of Sven Veith, who, if you didn't already know, is one of the world's biggest techno DJs. We met at his villa in the Ibiza countryside and after some small talk about London, which is now his home during the winter, we settled at his kitchen table. Sven seemed slightly hesitant to begin with, but he soon found his groove and the stories began to flow. He told me about Cocoon's upcoming Ibiza season and then traced the line right back to his first visit to the island in 1980. The experience of dancing under the stars to DJs like Pippi and Alfredo showed the then 16-year-old Sven the open-ended possibilities of DJing. Back in his hometown of Frankfurt, he established a career that saw him become a respected DJ, open a highly influential club called The Omen, and gain international fame as the lead singer of a pop band. Sven spoke openly about the ups and downs that eventually led him to setting up Cocoon in 1999. The brand came to incorporate a booking agency, a record label, and most significantly, a party at Amnesia in Ibiza that changed the face of clubbing on the island. It introduced the scene to new underground sounds, and with Sven as its charismatic leader, Cocoon established the after-party culture that's still rampant in Ibiza to this day. My main takeaway from the conversation though was Sven's enthusiasm. Even as he approaches his 50th birthday, he still brings a sense of childlike adventure to everything he does. So, fifteenth season in Ibiza, you're gearing up for at the moment. It seems like there's maybe been a few changes this year in the lead up to the season. Have um, Luciano playing for you a fair few times this year, and very we happy about this. Yes. Yeah, and um, Ricardo not playing this year, perhaps. No, he's going to play. He's going to play. Yeah. I mean, does it feel like it has been a off season of change for you?
1: You know, it's it's uh, since the last three years or more, let's say four years there, things changing uh, in Ibiza, really extreme. And I think that um, with Cocoon we have a, let's say a, a very strong followers here in Ibiza, fans from all over the world. And we were at the first place 15 years ago here, with the flag in our hand, (laughs) techno and house, uh, that's our mission, but talking about quality, house and techno music. And we had a big, big roof, it's called Cocoon, and under this roof we had a lot of DJs, and after so many years, of course, they're all individuals with their own career and own missions and um, nowadays days with their own managers (laughs) and uh, growing egos here and there and yeah there were some some uh, situations in the past and as i said the last four years where we yeah we had to to take it that some uh, of our djs who were under the roof of cocoon that they started with their own nights fair enough why not uh, but uh, with this there was a lot of um, with this a lot of tension started in in the scene competition where's our posse where's your posse and uh, do we still party together or not? And all the things would we never faced before uh, in, in, in the past. And yeah, so we had to somehow manage the situation for us to say goodbye to uh, our friends and colleagues, to Richie and to, to Marco and uh, Luciano. Started, he was the first. We're happy he's coming back now. <laughs> so, and then. And then all these hypes and um, new managements who wanted to push more, the artists, everyone wanted to have his own night in Ibiza. All this created a lot of tension in the scene. But as I can see it now after these four years and the last two years were a little bit tougher. And I think... And we are facing now a, a very relaxed 15 season for us. Everything is on the table, everything is clear. And um, mm. yeah, so I think also each of, of the artists made his own experience now on the island. it's not easy like a finger snap and you can make your own night and it's going to run from the first, second on and you're going to be successful and so on.
0: Yeah. Was there perhaps a sense last year that the people were spread quite thinly across the island? So obviously if you've got um, more nights than ever before with more resident DJ-led nights than ever before, was it maybe a, a case that it got to something of a tipping point last year?
1: Yeah, it's also uh, as you said, the, the party people suddenly they had so many possibilities and options and suddenly uh, free tickets and guest lists huge huge guest list yeah and then you can you could feel the, the competition is going on yeah but uh, for us it was somehow very interesting because we lost some people but we had a better party on the dance floor the quality of the party was for us and of course for the party people was much better everyone came to us and said wow that was a proper season especially on the dance floor Did people had more space or more space and, and more let's say more ordering a drink and going to the toilet the simple things simple ways the, were
0: uh, uh, much easier yeah. after 15 years you're obviously still enjoying it because i assume you would not be doing it otherwise but do you enjoy it these days in maybe a different way than you did to begin with yeah well we have
1: I uh, have an excellent team and we are somehow proved our machine is is, is, is working uh, properly and um, i'm proud that we still work with the same people together some since the beginning working with us and we have a very strong followers and people can trust us. You know, it's, we're always good for a surprise and people know that we are taking care of good music, sound, visuals, and nice decoration. And of course, again, we're going to do it for the 15th season we are even more m- motivated for, for this one and uh, yes, I mean I see it uh, today after the last three years more um, relaxed I would say.
0: Yeah. yeah, I mean in terms of your personal buzz and your personal enjoyment, does it feel how it did 15 years ago?
1: Um, different. Yeah. Yeah, different. I mean, 15 years ago, I was really alone here. Okay, yeah. uh, You know, I was really fighting. I invested all my money I had, you know, (laughs) and I was like, I don't, I don't care. I just want to do it because I love Ibiza and I see myself so much connected with this island and I always thought that our music is made for this island. It is perfect for this island yeah here we go
0: <laughs> and um you would been quite honest in the past or certainly in the last interview i saw you, with you about the prices in ibiza and you know the value for money aspect for people coming here do you think there is maybe a danger that it will become simply too expensive for people do you know is, is that a real possibility do you think
1: well it is expensive yes and in, in many ways but i think that people. People who come to Ibiza, they know what they get. And if they stay a week or two or three weeks, they're saving up. When they come to the island, they just explode and, and they go for it. But yeah, there's some some yeah some situations i still don't understand uh, here in ibiza in clubs in terms of uh, water prices you know the drinking is is really expensive still well we had so much discussions with club owners and promoters and what can we do what can we
0: change but it's it's like it's it's a nightmare. Oh, so those type of conversations do take place? Yeah. Yeah, so everybody comes together and yeah. Just, especially yeah. when we do
1: after hours, you know, and, and then uh, we have to rent a place. And then, of course, we're taking care of, of, of the costs. And then, as always, the there's uh, conversations about uh, prices of the drinks at the after hour. And we said, hey, we cannot take night prices at daytime parties, you know, and, and all these things people don't know but we discuss things like this in the back (laughs) yeah
0: yeah i mean i guess it's tough because it's something that would have to be done collectively almost everybody would need to be on the same page so to speak yeah yeah but uh beach club owners club
1: owners promoters they have their own vision (laughs) you know running places
0: and nights and daytime parties yeah to kind of reflect on when you first came to the island when you were 16 is that right yeah that's right it must have felt very very different back oh, then yeah. <laughs> i wonder just to kind of set the scene for us if you could kind of um summarize how you found the spirit when you first arrived in ibiza it was uh completely new for me
1: coming from germany to uh, let's say kind of a tropical island well people were smoking and dancing on the street and uh, this hippie feeling was everywhere present on the streets on the beach in the clubs the clubs were open air amnesia cool pacha glorious i remember these clubs i was lucky i was 16 and the. They let me in, you know. I was like, door, please, come on, look at me, please. (laughs) Begging, (laughs) basically. Yes. But uh, the spirit, especially in the morning times in these clubs, was just magic for me. I was crying on the dance floor (laughs) because I was never, I had no idea that something like this exists. Uh, Alfredo was playing his uh, kind of... mm, trippy uh, african percussion sounds mixed with pink
0: floyd and italo disco and reggae and I was just blown away. Mm. Was this the vibe among all of the, the prominent DJs at this time? Was everybody doing such a kind of free spirited mix of things? Yes, yes. Yeah, completely
1: eclectic mixes the whole night. Yeah.
0: Did you heard anything like that at that stage in your life? No, no. I mean, I was 16. Yeah. Yeah, Sure. (laughs) Never before. (laughs) Are we quite a hardcore music fan already at this time? um not hardcore i was too young for, um, um
1: records uh, were quite expensive i was listening to radio you know that my parents had a club at this this time and i was listening to seven inches a lot disco pop music a lot of philly sound and there was the time when michael jackson and diana ross and, and delegation all these disco bands came up chick yeah Yeah. (laughs) it's so funny that uh, so mainstream sound of chick is back here on the the island (laughs) (laughs) i was not a hardcore music fan but i I loved uh, the new music
0: i mean would it be a fair thing to say that it was here that you maybe decided that you wanted to be a dj i mean was it that important for you I really never thought about it before, even though we had a club, my parents, because
1: I, I knew that if I would ask my father, he would say, no way. But when I came back from Ibiza, and I told my mother all what I experienced, and she was, she saw my sparkling <laughs> eyes, and, and <laughs> I was really so flashed and, and touched, she was asking me if I want to become a DJ.
0: Wow! What was the nature of the club that your parents owned? What what type of it venue? It was called
1: Queen's Pub. It was an English pub with a little dance floor. Okay. Built by my father, he he, he built the whole club by himself. They played from rock and roll, pop music, and
0: uh, yeah, a bit of modern dance music. Okay. So you ended up playing there yourself. Yes. Okay. So um, I guess you would say that your first uh, residency or break was with Dorian Gray, which I guess was also. Yeah, first the- it was my,
1: with my parents, and yeah. then I started uh, in the year of eighty-one or eighty beginning of eighty-two at the Dorian Gray. Amps. Do you remember how you got the gig? Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I knew the DJ who was playing there, Uli Brenner, and he always watched me when I was dancing. And um, it was the time he came to me, he said, hey, Sven, I'm watching you dancing all the time. You have such a good feeling for the music. Can you play? Can you DJ? I said,
0: of course I can. (laughs) What a question. (laughs) (laughs) Could you DJ at this point? (laughs) And then he said,
1: well... Why, where did you learn how to DJ? I said, I'm DJing here, not so far, in know Isenburg in my parents' club. And then he said, yeah, you know what? I have the thing, I'm going, I'm taking a winter break. I'm going for skiing with my family. You think you can jump in and become the resident here for three weeks? I said, of course, I'm, I try my best, I will. I was 17, you know, I was not even allowed to enter this club and then he said okay well then that's the deal you start next weekend six o'clock in the morning till 11 o'clock i said from six o'clock in the morning till 11 all right i'm there and (laughs) and this was my i I, I, I started on um, torrents uh, turntables with no pitch control so i had to pitch them by myself my fingers and, and you know, this was, it was kind of work to get these tunes in, in tune, in, in the mix. And it was, a, it, was a, it was an interesting time for me because I've learned a lot about mixing. Because in my parents' club, either there were also the turntables there, didn't have a pitch control. So this mixing was for me something, you know, I really had to learn from, from zero.
0: What was your style like back then? What kind of things were you playing? I played disco classics mixed with new pop songs. Okay. Did this fit with the music policy of the club? Was this kind of in line with what they were doing? In a way, yes. But I I
1: did my mix, the way I interpreted the music I was playing was for them very fresh. They were really freaking out (laughs) that I created such an atmosphere, seven o'clock in the morning in this club.
0: What were you doing
1: to create such an atmosphere? I was, I was, I don't know. I was just uh, dancing with, it was, it was the music and, and, uh playing the, the, the disco tunes I really liked. Mm. And, and so it, and it really worked perfectly.
0: I mean, did the club itself kind of take its inspiration from what was going on in New York in the 70s? Was it kind of uh, modeled after that type of... Uh, exactly. Yeah.
1: It was also the same sound designer, Richard Long. He designed uh, the sound system at the Dorian Gray okay. in the end of the 70s.
0: I see. I mean, did it feel somehow connected? I mean, I, I know there was a remove. Um, I mean, I don't know how much you guys the knew about the Dorian Gray
1: was the studio fifty-four of Germany in that time. Yeah. yeah. So I was
0: playing already
1: my seventeen years old <laughs> in this club, you know, which was somehow in Germany very glamorous. Mm. Yeah. And in the in the main club in the big club, there was DJ. Jean Blum, Michael Münzing, Freke and they were they were playing really I mean on this sound system with a laser they had a laser installed and uh, they played the music that I, when I first heard Kraftwerk on that sound system I really freaked out Yeah, and it was also the first time that I saw DJs working with the band machine, with the TAG, uh machines, and they cut their, their own mixes. Mm. And a few of them played uh, 10 hours the whole night. And I was then really inspired by their work.
0: Yeah. An interesting detail. I just saw that the club was under the Frankfurt Airport, yeah. right? Yeah. How did that affect the the vibe of the place? Actually... It was even more
1: special okay. because he could go there by train. People all came dressed, you know, trances tied and, and the gay scene and, and new romantics and you know, they, they all come really dressed and they, they all came by train, by tubes, <laughs> And, don't oh, know, the airport feeling was 24 hours open, you know, and I think there was the first club. In Germany, who had a 24 hour license.
0: Oh, because of the. Uh, it was situated in the airport. Exactly. Right, I see. I guess a couple of years later, when it came to opening your own club, were there maybe things you learned at Dorian Gray that you applied to opening Omen? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. And I've learned to pay attention on a
1: lot of details, especially when it comes to sound and the DJ booth. It's so funny because. Those days, we were sitting to play. All the DJs were sitting because we played all very long sets. <laughs> and so when I when I started with my partners to to design the club, we also designed the DJ booths with a chair, the perfect high of you know of the console, and uh, for the turntables. But then, uh, after a few years, then uh, I said to my partner, "I said, hey, we have completely, we have to change the whole thing here. <laughs> I, I cannot sit
0: anymore. <laughs> the music is too good. We well, may be the first <laughs> DJ in Germany to stand up." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, when you around the opening of the club, where would you say that Germany was in its uh, development with electronic music? But this was 1988. I was a
1: pop star at that time. I did this project called Off, and I was touring a lot around Europe. I made a lot of TV shows and, and gala evenings and had some two top 10 hits. And the electro pop from Germany was quite, that moment was quite successful. Mm. And I could feel there was something going on because there was a lot of new, young people who came to me with ideas and and, and with demo tapes. Especially in Frankfurt, I felt like, oh, wow, this city is now really... Because we have this history with the Dorian Gray and with the DJs, uh, Tala, Thorsten Fenslau, uh, Michel Münzing, Bijan Blum and they were all big big DJs in, in Frankfurt and they all started with their own production and they were all successful and uh, so in Frankfurt somehow we had this um, history of DJ culture but not only also DJs who started with their own labels with their own production and at that time there was Frankfurt uh, with our own own, um, let's say uh level of, mm. of output and compared to other cities in, in Germany compared to Hamburg, uh, uh, Munich, Stuttgart, Cologne. And I stopped at the Dorian Gray in the year of uh, 1987. I ended my DJ career at this club as a <laughs> hardcore industrial DJ with played crazy stuff like uh, Skinny Puppy, Agroom, Split Second, Front Two for Two, Neitzer App, Bogasia, and bands like this. And I also invited them to play there. And this was really uh, an experience for me because I really enjoyed this dark music uh, at that time. But it was so strange in the context of a glamorous club. Mm. Uh, and so we turned this club into a black hole <laughs> so we had people in Doc Martens coming in the morning time to dancing Pogo uh, on the dance floor at the Dorian Grey because of me yeah. and that was a little bit strange somehow because I missed the girls on the dance floor Yeah, I, suddenly there was one morning I said what's going on here what I have done to this club <laughs> I felt like wow Probably I pushed a little, a little bit too much. Yeah. And then I decided to stop working as a DJ and to rethink about my work. And then I decided to open my own club with Michael Munzing and uh, Matthias Martinson. And then I said to these guys, I said, listen, but I'm not going to continue to play the hard stuff. At the Omen Club, mm. I want to. I want to. I had this one-way direction at the Dorian Gray. I, said, I see. I don't want to. Have, I would, I don't want to do the same step again. Um, and that yeah. was that was really good for me. That I had a half a year break. I mean, when I I mixed, uh, when I was playing all this industrial music, I mixed um, some Metroplex uh, records uh, in between, uh, from Liz Torres to Dance Mania, interesting house music. And when I opened the Omen Club, then I said, I'm going to dedicate my night to the house music, Mm. house and techno, the new techno. Yeah, and this was uh, then uh, the end of 88, And this was a change for me and for the club scene in Frankfurt and for the club scene in Germany, because that time there was no club, like a strictly techno house club, except the UFO in
0: Berlin. And yeah the rest is history i would say you know <laughs> no, of course i mean do you feel as though frankfurt was quick to embrace the sounds coming out of the u.s
1: yeah because we had a we have the american base uh, in frankfurt i see and we had um, american record stores we had a uh, easy access to the, to the good 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 vinyl good music
0: yeah, i mean in your kind of personal take on it. Did this music feel like it was part of a lineage of things that had come before, or did it feel like something very, very new? House music definitely
1: was for me uh, very new. I mean, I was always a fan of disco, but when house music uh, became more, uh, let's say, uh, let's put it this way. When When I played the first house music tunes, I felt like, that this is it i said that's the new that's the new this this is dj music (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah and and so i really i really followed the omen as i said before was the mecca of techno house music then that time in, in in germany
0: so it quite quickly got to a place where people would come to omen to hear this music specifically yes from all over germany DJ Hell, DJ Westbam,
1: DJ Motte, they all came to the Omen to party. And I invited them all. I had Richie Horton with his first Plus 8 label night, 1990. So we had a a Warp label night, 1990. We had Prodigy there. We had Underground Resistance. Uh, I invited them all. That was really, really special. But it was so extreme, we didn't we, we had no air condition in this club and it was i don't know it felt like it was 60 degrees and we were sweating for hours and the music was so intense and yeah it was just going stronger and stronger
0: have you felt anything as intense since then yes i, I did i still do
1: <laughs> <laughs> but uh the the first days they were it was a new you know so new and fresh and I could mm. see i can uh, this was for me so 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 special that the people they were all so hungry really hungry for it to just dive into the sound and and dance the night away
0: and go just mm. mental and crazy on the music so did in terms of house and techno and it's spread throughout germany is this something that kind of caught wildfire so to speak did germany very quickly catch on to what you were doing yes i mean there was the
1: you know the fall of the wall and and this was the start of everything the love parade and the half legal clubs in berlin and and the scene was just exploding in, uh, that time and after the second love parade, we were showing the world the Germans can dance <laughs> and there was there was really like something i think there were a lot of people from the different nations were quite surprised. <laughs>
0: So you're busting stereotypes. <laughs> do you remember roughly what the attendance was uh, like at the first love parade and just, you know, how that was for you as an experience? I was not joining the very first love parade in
1: 1989. I joined the second love parade. It just felt a little like we, we have to do something for our music. Uh, and Dr. Motte call, called it Friede uh, Freude Eierkuchen and which is very uh, <laughs> silly and uh, uh, peace love and harmonies okay you know, well. anyways <laughs> uh, something like this but we had to ride we had to write, we had the right to demonstrate on um, the Kurfürstendamm that time which was really something really really special on this biggest uh, shopping street in in Berlin to do a, a love parade with people who, who loved house music and techno and screaming acid on the street. And, and no, that was that was really uh, something special. And yeah, I missed that vibe today. And there was something, it was somehow uniting the whole Germany, Europe, the world, people came from all over the world to, 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 to dance a weekend with us. There was something really special.
0: I mean, I guess um, politically, socially, it was a very unique time, I Absolutely. mean. A free party on, on top of it, yeah. And uh, yeah, and then
1: year by year by year, we were getting stronger, bigger, bigger and stronger. And I don't know, the peak was 1.3 million or 4 million people. In Berlin, yeah, it was very special. Yeah, but that was the beginning of the '90s. You know, I had um, I had my labels, IQ Records, hard House Records, Recycler Die. I started doing my solo projects. I started started uh, with a with an agency and was creating platforms and and and. We opened an office in London. We ha- opened an office in, in, in West Hollywood, in Los Angeles. And I called it Hard House and techno trance music, 91, 92, 93. Suddenly, that was
0: the sound of, you know, of the clubs. Do you recall the sort of defining motivation for beginning IQ? It's because with the Omen Club, I felt like I, I
1: have to start a label to release music, what's happening in our club. And as I said before, people that time, they came to me, young producers, and giving me promos, Heartflower, for instance. Then I had so much good demos
0: I wanted to release them in retrospect people discuss IQ in terms of being a very important trance label and you know for kind of pioneering that sound but uh, I wonder at the time did it feel as though you and Frankfurt was doing something that was kind of removed and was something a bit different
1: Yes, it was. We were a bunch of artists, including um, Chairman Spoon and and uh, uh, DJ Dark and uh, many others: Resistance D, Spice Lab, uh, uh, Marco Zaffarano, and many, many more. And mm-hmm. yeah, somehow we were the pioneers of that sound, and for for a long time. And we were proud because. Uh, <laughs> We had so many good songs coming up one after the other for a long time uh, till i reached a point uh, where i said okay and now it's enough i want to change the music i want to change the style because it became more and more you could hear it everywhere suddenly many many producers started producing this direction and from Holland, from from Belgium, um, and so on, and 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 we were like, yeah, oh, okay. I was the and I said to myself, to my team, "Hey, listen, I think it's time to to change, yeah, to do something else now."
0: Was there something about the time and place that kind of felt right to be uh, using more emphasis on on melody? i kind of, I, I guess I'm interested to know like what the kind of, what place this came from, because obviously there was a kind of united aesthetic to the music that was very melodically rich. I just wondered if there was something about that time that it felt was,
1: right. It was definitely, it was, we were working, especially me, and I had a bunch of musicians around me and I introduced the musicians here in Ibiza to this sound. And I invited them to go with me in the studio and uh, so on, we were working, you know, years. And I think that was the special touch, yeah. a DJ brain with a musician, and that was giving the music this rich, composed feeling. This is also still very unique, you know. and nowadays you know djs they think they are musicians yeah many djs think they are musicians yeah? if i if i look back and and especially talking about the trance scene yeah i had the feeling that it was uh, we reached a stage some, uh, somehow where everything is repeating you know the copying and repeating and copying and and i was like wow this is it seems like there are no musicians around anymore
0: <laughs> I, I was just wondering if you recall like reaching a point when you thought okay it's time to move on from this thing
1: it was the end of 95 uh, beginning of 96 mm. that was really then i felt like i was i was tired i was as you know i, I also spent a lot of time in india uh, beginning of the 90s and uh, somehow i also was getting in touch uh, with the goa trance scene i met some people in goa they said awesome oh, your label you produce the best goa trance and i'm saying i'm sorry I mean, we're not producing goa trance we are from frankfurt <laughs> 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 this comes out of a club <laughs> well it was somehow <laughs> funny to see how many freaks went crazy in our music in the jungle i enjoyed it yeah
0: were you playing those parties a lot
1: no 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 not uh, I, I made my own parties uh here and there in the jungle 93 94 i was the first dj who brought his turntables into the jungle
0: oh wow <laughs>
1: <laughs> and they were looking at me like what is he doing <laughs> with the stabilizer you know and, and i had an indian family you know they were carrying taking care about the generator and the power and i explained to him everything how it works and it was really i had i had a lot of fun <laughs> but the music there it was for there was a time which was which was really it was really going on there uh, from 91 till till 94 i really enjoyed it but then Again, I've felt also there the music not developing and the they're standing still um, they all, they want to party always on the same sound.
0: <laughs> I guess you were running um, Heart House simultaneously. How would you kind of define the difference between the labels that you were running?
1: As you said, um, my IQ Records was more melodic, what we called trance at that, that time. And, uh, Hardhouse was more techno and, um, uh, experimental here and there. Alter Ego was, um, on, on House, good friends of mine. I've also produced a lot with Roman Flügel and with Jörn Wutke. And, uh, I think we also had with Hardhouse over, over 100 releases. Yeah. Like, I we just had with cocoon yeah
0: I mean was the sound of the labels being reflected on what was being played at Omen were the two things very interchangeable
1: yeah but towards the end it was much more hard house okay yeah uh, when I closed the the Omen in the year of 1998 it was a trip running a club 10 years with this music and the music was changing constantly, and, mm. and this was. i Also, you know, I came back from India and said, "Hey, we have to change decoration. We now we, had, we need to Om sign everywhere." You know, I was fully on yeah on this uh, spiritual tip. <laughs> so you're always trying to stay one step ahead of this, uh, you know. I invited this this band from Denmark, Coxbox, Box, uh, and, and uh, some crazy, weird, psychedelic musicians. Uh, yeah, it was, for that time, it was all right. It felt good, you know.
0: So what did um, eventually lead to Omen's closure?
1: It was because of the property. We were based in a garage, and this uh, uh, was this garage... Uh, house was park house we call it was sold to to, uh, any company and then they told us we have to leave we have to go out and yeah and they were stretching it i know you can stay another three months and we said oh my goodness okay but we have to make the bookings and and this and that and and they said then they said again ah no you can just stay another half a year and then i said to myself no I, I cannot i cannot this is this is cannot plan the club and and the bookings and everything what is so necessary also for the staff? and so i decided to myself i said hey i said to my partners i'm going to close the omen in october 1998 which was a, which, with a big boom with three days party the police closed the street for us it was such a funny moment when they realized that we do the closing party and then they then they came and said hey listen how you want how do you want to handle all the people and uh, on the street and and we said to them yeah what can we do and then they said to us can we help should we close the, the street for you guys for 12 hours and i said yes please and they did <laughs> so cool That <laughs> was that was a, a nice experience yeah and it was a sad, sad, sad uh, uh, playing the last record in your in, in the club. It is no, not easy. I was playing the last record and I was just running out and never came back.
0: <laughs> that was it. So newer fans of yours, maybe the people who know you for your days with Cocoon and your party in Ibiza, maybe don't realize your uh, full history as a recording artist and you kind of mentioned earlier you had success very very young and had some big selling records was fame something that you kind of felt comfortable with was it something that you kind of took to were you comfortable in the spotlight i was really comfortable in the spotlight
1: (laughs) (laughs) I, i always enjoyed performing and it's that was for me my main motivation was always to dance i'm a Dancer, raver, from my heart, and uh, still today <clears throat> I enjoy it so much. I just love dancing, and and uh, this is what I miss sometimes today on the dance floor. People are more, uh, <laughs> they are more w- with their uh, mobile phones and 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 conversations with their in, in their chats uh, than. They're not, sometimes I have the feeling people are not really with the music anymore. That just, I don't know. It's, it feels a little bit strange somehow. But anyhow, for me, was performing Performing was always something. I, I, I'm very good in, improvise, in improvisation. This is a, probably my biggest, how you say, um, uh, my biggest art form. Okay. Yeah, I can improvise very good. I, I need this positive stress, you know, <laughs> even, even today, before, before I start playing, I'm getting nervous and I don't actually like when people talk to me then five minutes before I start, uh, just to breathing in, breathing out, <laughs> do my little concentration breath. No, but when I started as a DJ, and then starting with production, starting using my voice, starting not really singing more talking, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, there were new territories for me. And also, then performing in front of cameras, we made a lot of video clips. I recorded 13 artist albums. I was with BMG Ariola, with Warner Brothers, with um, Virgin and with cocoon of course cocoon recordings so that was a lot of work back in the days you know you had your you had your contract and with this contract you signed this contract for the next five years they were included for artist album for videos and so on so that was a a different thing compared to today you know, how easy you can make a record today or you can release two albums on two different labels, no problem.
0: (laughs) How easy did you find it to balance these two very, almost opposing worlds that you found yourself in, where on the one hand you're pushing this very esoteric underground club music and then on the other is the, you know, the commercial viability and the big record contracts. Like, is that a line that's been difficult to negotiate? More,
1: at the beginning, it was so new, I was not really thinking about it. But then when I felt my love growing more for the underground music, somehow I was uh, in a bit of a conflict with myself. But you have to see, I was 21, 22, 23 years old. yeah, And I was already a pop star, a DJ, in the best club in Germany. And it was, for me something special and i could not tell you how it's going to be for the next the next steps the next years but i tried to make my best out of it till the point when i quit this project off and i i decided to to reset my career and start again as just as a DJ and then I bought myself equipment and I started with a little midi studio, rented a small little room in the same building where Logic Records was based and the master music production company and then I met these nice musicians I was talking about it before, Matthias Hoffmann, Ralf Hildenbeutel, Stevie Bisset. And then we started to, um, yeah to, to know each other better and better. And then I invited them to Ibiza. Yeah, we had some serious fun. <laughs> and then we started with this music, IQ. And uh, with my first album, solo album, An Accident in Paradise. And then I had a side project called Barbarella. And it was for me then, honestly, with, with, uh, with Warner Brothers and, and also with Virgin, I didn't have this pressure. I didn't have this pressure I had before in, with Off, where the record company was saying, hey, Sven, but we need a hit.
0: want to have a big hit yeah so was there an understanding between you and the label that you would have creative freedom
1: yeah because they were they were also kind of positive shocked how big this music became in that short time how is techno so somehow yes they trusted me and and I, i had this creative
0: freedom in a way yeah but still of course i had a contract and had to deliver (laughs) i'm kind of interested to know um you talked about the desire for for dancing and the excitement that that creates is this something that you would look to kind of translate into into your music you know into your solo work and your working groups i mean was this something that kind of drove you in a way in a way yes but also i have to say i was I
1: am a big ambient fan since the eighties. I'm a big fan of um, uh, the early works of Brian Eno and Harold Butt. And especially Brian Eno's work was really inspiring me and to go a little bit left field with, also with my production. And I had musicians next to me, you know, and I was telling them, hey, listen, no beats. Let's do something else. And it worked. And I really enjoyed that work as well. So today I could imagine I would love to produce one day a nice uh, ambient album if I go back to the studio. And um, as a solo artist, as Sven Sven Fade, as a recording artist, I was not focusing the dance floor 100%. I wanted to try also new things out.
0: Do you listen to your older music much these days? No. Not at all?
1: No, rarely. I'm not a nostalgic person. <laughs> There's so many new music out there. It is so for me, uh, find the time to listen to old music.
0: And, uh, then I ask myself, why don't you take this time to listen to new music? Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> so to maybe uh, jump ahead slightly when it came to starting your own venture with cocoon your own brand your own enterprise however you like to label it what were your kind of personal circumstances around that time what was the motivation you know what was the the need or the desire to to start cocoon i had the idea already
1: with cocoon in the year of 1995 I visit this action theater group from Catalan. Uh, they're called La Fuda del Baus. And they did a huge action theater performance at the Tempeltrom in Berlin. And this was all about cocooning. And this was such a hard, in-your-face performance. <laughs> I was shocked, and, but really positive and inspired. I was asking myself, I said, wow, this theme cocoon is is describes my life. It is the only consistent thing is change in life and, and this I'm, I'm not afraid, you know, for change. I was never. And that's that's the perfect symbol for what I'm what I want to do. I want to create metamorphosis in 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 the music with the events with the love I, I put into in the night and you can always come out of yourself in the night and and become whatever uh, if you just let yourself fall and so i created this name and i started the first cocoon party in 1996 with underworld live and and dj hell and the advent and b12 live out in the acoustic garden and with alter ego and I invited even some Japanese DJs and I mean the party was great but I was so let's say ignorant or maybe arrogant because I did not want to work with sponsors with no sponsorships I said I invested all I invest all my money I have. Because as, as for me, it was a, a, a statement, you know, for underground and, and idealism. And, and I believe in this thing. Exactly. <laughs> that was, for me, it was like a disaster. <laughs> I lost everything, you know. But there was a lesson for me, a, a good lesson. I said, okay, well, it's probably not the right time for it.
0: Why did it. it go badly?
1: Uh, there, was, uh, there was on the 1st of May and uh, there was this mayday party you know the huge rave Mm -hmm. event and i charged a lot of money to uh, i had a high entrance price and to cover all the costs and everything and it was just uh, for the people it was just too much but it was a good party and i was when i look back i was happy that i did it we all have to learn our lessons and we even learn more when it when it goes wrong you know, when it's only you know nothing is perfect. You know, I've I've learned this, yeah, and that's important, yeah. And then after, after I I, I quit with the label IQ and Hardhouse, House, 1997, I closed the Omen Club, 1998, and then it was my very first time that I was independent, no partners, no contracts. I said, "Wow, that feels good." wow Then i was asking myself and now (laughs) well then i had a little bit time to think about it and then i started with cocoon as an agency as a booking agency then i started uh, like some random events in frankfurt and then i started 1999 with four events in ibiza
0: Okay, so when you started the booking agency, did you kind of have a plan at the time for this very like three hundred and sixty degree enterprise? No, no. there was no blueprint.
1: You know, there was no no one. There was just going by auto detective uh, intuition. Uh, I was just I just felt like doing it this way, and everything, every step after was just logically for me i said okay then now we, we need this and yeah maybe we should start with this now and you know we were not in a hurry i was alone i had my my team around me and that was it felt really good and and, and still it does it is i was i was happy that i made all these decisions. Why did you start with the booking agency? Because after I closed the Omen Club, I had a bunch of artists who were my residents at the Omen. They were all from Frankfurt Frank Lorbert, Tony Rios, Antoni Rother, Johannes Heil, uh, 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 Pascal Feos, uh, and uh, many others. And <laughs> I was like, oh my goodness, I cannot leave them alone. You know, I have to take care of them somehow. Yeah. And that was the idea.
0: So when it came to the pitch you eventually received from Amnesia to begin a house and techno party in Ibiza, did this seem like quite a radical idea? Not for the Amnesia.
1: Because I was already invited by Amnesia a few times before by the English promoter called Bucked Out. Okay, yeah. Yeah, They invited me a few times and, and uh, Amnesia... The son of the boss, uh, uh, Machtis uh, uh, Junior, he was a big fan and he said, Sven, do you want uh, your night here or can we do something together? And, and I said to Talida, she was my booker and my, she was taking care, she was organizing everything for me. I said, come on, let's give it a try. I want it. I just want it because I have to give something. I have so much to give, I let's, let's, let's give it a try. The Monday was, was not open. There was a competitor, it was Manu Mission at Privilege. I mean, it was not co- no competition for us. And I think it was, I don't know, on Mondays, I think they were the only ones. Yeah, I said, okay, we start on Monday and very naive and enthusiastic.
0: <laughs> and we loved it and it was good. Yeah, we had a good time. Yeah. I mean, do you feel as though it took some time to establish the kinds of sounds that you were pushing? Of course. On the course. Yeah. No, of course. I mean, how was that process?
1: I mean, in the beginning, it was like this, that of course, that I had a lot of people coming from Frankfurt and, and from Germany following us to support Cocoon in Ibiza. But then when we were going in the very first season in the year of 2000... In the full season, um, suddenly we had a lot of Spanish people. The Spanish people were our biggest supporter then, and all the island people were talking about the music of Cocoon and what's going on there and something different. And yeah, step by step. And then in the, bit, the first, uh, the first three years, I had the German Telekom as a sponsor. And I was really happy about this because they helped me a lot because running an event from Germany here in Ibiza costs a lot of money. Yeah. So they helped us out and we had also, they were not just the sponsor, somehow they were a partner. They came also with some fresh ideas concerning, you know, about the, the visuals and decoration, mm-hmm. objects and stuff. And we enjoyed the partnership with them but then, then we reached a point in the 3 years they said okay they have to move on and i said okay well i think i i can do it by myself let's give it a try yeah. and i said to amnesia hey you know maybe you have to help me a little bit but i want to con- continue uh, with this concept i don't want to I, I don't want to make a compromise and i want to you know, be straight and it's just the music. And then uh, it was the year of 2003, you know, with with, uh, uh, Ricardo Villalobos, 2003, 2004. Because in 2001, 2002, 2003, I had German house promoters hosting the terrace. And uh, Ricardo was also, you know, was a part of it. He was playing, but then I was kind of, tired of their style of of the promoters i said no i don't want them that's not cocoon for me and then i said to ricardo hey ricardo why don't you take the terrace uh, become the boss of the terrace and and make your thing and show them what you can do and yeah and this was uh, also something very new inside i was playing the techno and and the harder stuff and Ricardo started his Ricardo House sound on the terrace for hours and hours. And this combination was very unique. And that was the time then, 2005, when suddenly, I mean, there were, suddenly the, the club was packed. Before that, we were like, we had. 2000 people the peak was maybe 3000 people and then suddenly uh, thousands of people came and we were happy about it and we said yes yes you know finally it worked (laughs) like childs honestly like like happy childs
0: (laughs) (laughs) i was just going to ask was there something about ricardo's sound that you think uh, made it a particularly good fit for that space yeah definitely especially for the terrace especially for the morning time you know
1: this morning time on the terrace with the sunlight um, you see the the olive trees and on the terrace and you okay. have this tropical Ibiza Balearic feeling holiday you know you see the people and with this Ricardo's morning sound that was really special
0: do you think it was kind of something that was in the spirit of the old days almost yes I think cocoon
1: this was exactly what I wanted to, you know, to transform with Cocoon to, you know, to uh, I experienced the island back in the early 80s. So I wanted to bring back this feeling about the music, the dance floor and this, call it spiritual uh, experience together.
0: Yeah. So I guess around this time is when you opened uh, Frankfurt Cocoon. Did you feel maybe that this was a way to kind of bring everything together in one place? You know, everything that you were kind of about was this your baby in a way, in the most most kind of pure form? Yeah, there was the opening of the Cocoon Club, two thousand
1: and four. Uh, that was for me such a project, man. I was I was I was happy that I found the right partners who believed in 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 this vision, and I was happy to have this amazing. Uh, Architects and design company 3 Deluxe from Wiesbaden helped me. We were working on this project for two years and then we opened the doors. That was something. I wanted to bring this clubbing and this night clubbing uh, in, into the next century with this club and with with, uh, with the high end of design, sound, light, food. And uh, I wanted to invite my generation again to go out, have fun. And I thought maybe they they enjoy more the the fact that they can come and having a nice dinner, a bottle of wine, and then they're just walking um, three meters, and then they're standing on the dance floor. You know, and, and this concept was quite ambitious and um, new especially in a city like frankfurt in the industrial area <laughs> everyone i mean at that time in germany didn't have a you know a good time you know everybody was just mourning and oh, how can you open a club like this 2004 Say, so, yeah, well, what should I do? Should I wait till you all feel better, or what? what I'm mean, sorry, we were planning to do this club, and the opening is the, our opening date, you know. And and so in the beginning, I had to fight, you know, also with, with some people in Frankfurt. They say, oh, this is a super club. This is too much. This is this. I said, this is for you. Take it. Experience the sound. Experience, you know, the design, and you know. There is so much love in this club, you know, feel it. But I think for many people it was like a little bit too much at the beginning, but then the ice was broken and then we had such a really, really, really good, good time. And then we'd close the club uh, after eight and a half years. But um, the problem was for us that we could not run this club with this concept in that area the industrial area in Frankfurt was not the right spot for a club like this, especially not for the restaurants. So we had to decide uh, to, you know, try to
0: change the concept completely or just to say, okay, that's it. Do you feel kind of satisfied to look back on those eight years? Did you achieve everything that you kind of set out to do? Yes, and I mean,
1: I still love clubbing and the clubbing culture, and I'm. St- I invested so much in the last thirty-five years in 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 our scene, and for me, this was something like a masterpiece. I wanted to create for our for our scene. Maybe it was for 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 some people, it was too much. For some people, it was too ambitious. For some people, it was not underground anymore. But I really did not think about it you know i wanted to do something i wanted to create something for the future you know we talked a lot about it you know that if we had the cocoon club in in new york or in paris or in london i don't know what would happen then you know but um i'm very thankful to my partners i have to say that they all believed in this project and we had a we had a really wonderful time there but again it's cocooning it's metamorphosis it's moving on yeah
0: you just kind of alluded to the fact that it's been kind of getting on for 35 years since you started playing and you're still performing with vinyl i assume of course yeah Yeah, with two turntables a mixer yeah i just wondered what is it about this very simple art form that's kept you entertained for so many years it's the music. <laughs> it is just the music, and there's, there's no point for me.
1: Why? Why should I? Why? Why should I change? There's so many good labels out there, uh, releasing good records, taking care of everything of the manufacturing, of the design, of the of the cover, of the the quality, of the mastering, and so on. And as long as can as I can buy good records, I'm gonna play them. That's that's so simple, and having my two turntables and a mixer and, and creating physically a mix with with my, with my sweat on my fingers and uh, feeling the dynamic in the mix when it when it comes together and that's for me yeah that's the cherry on the cake you
0: know when i when i when i when i when i do my when i do my thing yeah. I mean, do you still feel like you're still learning new things about DJing and playing to people all the after all these years? The, the good thing is it, it, it cannot getting
1: boring for me because I'm buying and consuming new music all the time, and and my highlight is to introduce new music to my crowd. And the good thing is that they follow, they they trust me. Yeah, I just played a twelve hour set at Robert Johnson. Tell me one DJ who's playing twelve hours with vinyls. A week before, I played a twelve-hour set at the Watergate. A week before, I played a fourteen-hour set at Kranz uh, Montana, in the mountains. Actually, were three parties <laughs> in a row <laughs> in, in one night. But I'm just enjoying it, you know. And yeah, the younger generation—they see me, you know, and they they look at me. I think they feel they can feel that I love my my work and when I'm waving with my records I say, look at this record this is on the screen <laughs> <This is laughs> whatever I'm making a show you know it's a part of my performance but the quality of the music it's on the end what counts and uh, I can create a, a big drama in the night with the music and I can play a, a strong techno set for hours but I can also play like a a 12 hour after hour set yeah i don't i don't have i don't have these barriers i i can i can i have because of my experience through all these years i can create special connections with music i, I listening the way i listening to music is is, is quite uh, advanced in a way i can yeah. combine sounds and grooves and atmospheres and, yeah, I'm celebrating my 50th birthday this year, imagine. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm talking like a child. <laughs> no, but honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm still enjoying it so much. And, yes. and, and I support the labels and I support the good music. That's, for me, the most important. If I see the sync button DJs, you know, everyone can, with respect, everyone can play what they but loops and effects and sync
0: buttons, this is not my DJ world. Yeah, I see. I mean, it almost felt like, in terms of the extended sets that you're talking about, it almost felt like Cocoon uh, helped kickstart this whole after party culture here in Ibiza. Definitely. I, I mean, are you, are you someone who's always kind of not wanted the party to end? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah because
1: i love it and that's the thing you know because i just i, I just cannot stop yeah it's okay sometimes it's like i ask myself as fan come on you know but i still have to give something yeah? and talking about after our parties we started the after hour party culture here in ibiza free parties and johannes and i we we know that people, it's a part of cocoon, hour after hours. But it's not always so easy to find the right location, to, you know, deal with uh, authorities. And, and That's becoming increasingly difficult, Of course, yeah. yes. We have to pay the fines and say, okay, let's swallow that. It's okay, we pay it and this and that. But we want to, we want to continue with this. Yeah? And last year we had this amazing... Afterward, that this new place, destino, which was unexpectedly, <laughs> it was the bomb. There was there was just a a stamp on on to the end of the party season and yeah. cocoon, bam. after our. yeah, that was that was very emotional. Yeah,
0: it's it's interesting to me because um, you know, if you think of most people, they will reach a certain age and then they start to feel very um, self-conscious about partying hard but you someone who's always kind of enjoyed themselves in a very like you know clear conscious very like free way yeah well
1: as I said before it's for me I am I am very connected with the island and this spirit this hippie spirit it's kind <laughs> it like this uh, I experienced here this 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 was this was for me something I always wanted to share with my crowd and to give. And yeah, of course, they're all stepping now in my footsteps and they all want to do now after hours and this and that. And of course you can, you're all free, you can do what you want. But then the people asking 30 euros for, for the entrance fee for an after hour Huh? Oh no! These DJs only play on private villa after hours. Then I'm, yeah. Then I'm thinking of yes, they don't get it. They don't understood
0: the the whole thing. <laughs> so I guess um, over the years you've obviously had extremely full on summers and all the after parties we've been talking about. But then there's been this um, counterbalance with uh, very restful and relaxing winters. Uh, why did you feel that this quite extreme model kind of worked best for you? Why was this kind of a good method? Because I'm living a, a crazy life.
1: Yeah, my lifestyle is 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 extreme. If you give so much and in, in, in such a peak, you know, levels all the time, you need you need a, a, an oasis. You need a, a time for yourself, a, a quiet time. Yeah. When it comes to you know your body, mind, and soul, and in India, as I said before, I lived in India. I had a house there down south in Goa, and yeah, I was introduced. I was introduced to the Ayurvedic life philosophy of Indians, and and I started with this seventeen years ago, and I found that this is matching perfect my lifestyle if I take like a a three months, four months, a year, no alcohol, no meat. I'm a a temporary vegetarian. I'm a temporary alcoholic, you know. uh, My life is so extreme that in a way it's, it is, um, it is worthy to find out your your perfect uh, balance, which is the hardest job in your life, I think. Finding your right balance. We always, uh, there's a lot of temptations everywhere, and especially when you travel and when you are moving around and everyone wants to share with you and everyone wants to invite you and everyone wants to give you you know, the best. For instance, you just go once a year to Buenos Aires. Of course, the, the fans are waiting for you and, and asking you, Sven, where's the after hour? i'm saying hey people i cannot you know i cannot continue because i have to catch my plane and and move on yeah but we have we have a beautiful casa finca everything is prepared for you we have decks we have a mixer you know it's situations like this you know and then you have to say no you go oh my god you know but it's it's somehow a bit of a discipline that you say okay and here I have to say stop. Yeah. And otherwise, I love to do my sport. I have my massages. I have a beautiful, I have two kids. My daughter is 24, Tiga is three and a half. And also, you know, I have a family life. So I yeah, I have a DJ life, um, business, uh, running a business with Cocoon, um, family life. Um, have to look after myself and so on it all to get everything under one roof and it that is it is, that is yeah a bit of work <laughs>